1: Minimum of four lines for twenty five dollars per line per month, without auto pay discount. Using debit or bank account, five dollars more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement. Due thirty five dollars per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome back. It is Hardline on News Radio nine thirty W B E N. got another 52 minutes left here on Sunday. Just a reminder, uh, we will not be on next week, taking the 4th of July holiday off. So uh, enjoy. We'll be back the week after, though, I'm sure with a packed show as usual. Uh, Lots of happenings. You just heard from Congressman Chris Jacobs about what's going on in Washington. So let's go back to Washington and talk to Business Insider's own Dave Leventhal. Dave, good morning. Joe, good morning to you. And, you know, so much to talk about. And I know uh, you talked about this with Susan and Brian this week. It's actually in our promo. Um, but, you know, the, the primary victory here in Buffalo for India Walton did get some national coverage of a Democrat socialist most likely going to take over uh, the mayorship of the second biggest city in New York. Uh, what kind of buzz did that bring to Washington, Dave?
3: How an incredible amount, Joe. i had been telling people for days for weeks. Look, uh, all this focus on New York City's mayoral election. All right, fine. It's New York City, but don't sleep on Buffalo. This could be interesting. And of course, we have found out uh, in in very sharp relief that it was about as interesting a mayoral race as Buffalo has seen in decades. So yeah, it's been getting a ton of buzz here in Washington, D.C. and around the country, too. And rightfully so. Buffalo is the largest city, uh, Since uh, Milwaukee elected a socialist mayor back uh, decades ago uh, of the size that Buffalo is uh, to to uh, presumably elect uh, ultimately, uh, you know, we'll see how the general election works out, but presumably elect a socialist mayor who will be serving for the next four years if ultimately India Walton uh, becomes mayor of Buffalo.
1: Well, I do want to talk about that. We talked with Professor Jacob Neuheisel about this earlier. Uh, but, you know, being there in Washington, you know, having your having a, a, a pulse on everything in D.C., uh, Dave, I, I want to know these writing in campaigns that might happen for Byron Brown. Um, the success rate's got to be very low. What does it take, A, what does it take for a successful writing campaign, and how many have we seen – in the last two decades,
3: so a couple of things to know about write-in campaigns. Absolutely, it is incredibly, exceedingly rare for write-in campaigns to work. They they just don't work uh, probably more than ninety-nine percent of the time. Now, there's a couple of differences to note, though. First of all, at the federal level, there it's almost unheard of for a write-in candidate to win uh, either in a primary or a general election. So we're talking about Congress. We're talking about. The US Senate and certainly the presidency. Then you go to the state level. And governors are not getting written in to office, so this just simply doesn't happen. But there are some examples at the local level. Again, they are exceedingly rare, but they do happen where in municipal elections you can have a write in candidate win. In fact, here in Washington, D.C., for the mayoral election about 20 years ago, uh, Anthony Williams, the then mayor, he actually won as a write-in candidate in a primary before ultimately getting on the ballot in a general election and winning so it's not 100% unprecedented it does happen now that all being said joe it is very 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 difficult and but buffalo's situation is a very unique one now, you've got the presumably again a, a socialist mayor who would become socialist candidate who would become mayor of buffalo and and you may have some uh, some very strange Some bedfellows, some strange, odd coalitions that could potentially form, particularly if if Byron Brown wants to run as a write-in candidate. You might have Republicans uh, conceivably supporting him, along with Democrats who are are not supportive of uh, India Walton. It's going to take a heck of a lot of money. It will take a heck of a lot of organization. His name, Byron Brown, would not be on the ballot, so you'd have to physically write him in. And and that's how you would do it, not not through traditional means. So uh, don't bet uh, completely against uh, the possibility of it happening. But if you are a betting person, uh, it's uh, probably going to be a long shot.
1: And, you know, an example of that, our last guest, Congressman Chris Jacobs, uh, said he urged Byron Brown to uh, put together a writing campaign. And Carl Palladino has also urged the mayor to uh, get this writing campaign together. So, uh, Dave, we're already seeing the. The proof that this is going to be a Republican and, as you said, some Democrat effort to uh, get Byron Brown back for four more years.
3: Yeah, and, and people who have never written in a candidate before and are wondering, well, is this legal? Can you do this? Yes, absolutely. In New York State, uh, it is a perfectly legal thing to do. People do it all the time. I've covered plenty of elections uh, that, that have the right and option. and. People write in all different sorts of folks all the time. Mickey Mouse is a very popular candidate uh, among people who write in candidates. Uh, So oftentimes it's used just simply as a protest vote. In this case, it could be a real legitimate bona fide candidate in the form of a mayor who's been mayor of Buffalo for uh, roughly the past 16 years, uh, who would be the candidate on the ballot. So the one thing that Byron Brown does have uh, of course, his notoriety and name recognition. So that wouldn't be a problem. It would actually be in educating people that uh, he was an option, a viable option, somebody who is actively running, especially when you have such a low turnout in, in elections uh, across the country that are municipal elections, but particularly in Buffalo, where the turnout uh, was very, very low. Uh, that could be a good thing for somebody like a Byron Brown who is looking to run as a right in candidate uh, in the sense that the lower the voter turnout is, uh, the, the more possibility that he could get motivated people who don't want to see uh, India Walton become the mayor of Buffalo going out and doing the very thing that he wants him to do, which would be write his name in if ultimately he chooses to go that path.
1: Speaking of confusing, uh, there was a little confusion with this infrastructure deal uh, announced by the president. Dave, where do we stand on that right now?
3: (laughs) Well, Joe Biden came out of the gate and basically tripped over his feet about three times uh, before trying to right the ship uh, by walking back what he initially said. So we have had uh, a bipartisan group of senators working on a bipartisan package that would be worth roughly $1 1 trillion to 1.2 trillion dollars for this infrastructure package over the next spread over the next eight years. Joe Biden has endorsed this package or did endorse it, but then basically said, well, you know, actually I'm not going to fully endorse it unless it is paired with on a parallel track that, that goes into one track. Other things that I want to see be part of, uh, not this infrastructure package in and of itself. But passed by Congress uh, that would uh, deal with a whole bunch of kind of soft infrastructure type of provisions, uh, everything from broadband to clean energy, et cetera. And uh, and in in essence, he was contradicting himself and had to walk back in in a very uh, almost tortured statement uh, saying, no, 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 I, I misspoke. I was wrong. Uh, actually, I do support this bill, the bipartisan package, and, and I want to sign it and I want to see it pass. So that obviously uh, made Republicans who were part of this negotiating team very, very angry. It made Republican leaders uh, kind of dubious as to whether Joe Biden was truly committed to this. So it definitely threw this uh, this negotiation for a loop. But in these types of negotiations, everything gets thrown for a loop about 10 different times. Is it going to derail it? Probably not. Republicans and Democrats do want to see some package put forward? I mean, we're we're having this conversation at a time when we had a building collapse in Florida. There was a pedestrian bridge here in Washington D.C. a couple of days ago that also collapsed. I mean, the infrastructure in this country, from coast to coast, uh, in many cases and in many regards, is in a great state of disrepair. And uh, unless you invest in it, things are only going to get worse. Both sides realize it. the big question here is what's the price tag ultimately going to be and how are you going to pay for that? So there is a willingness on both sides. But Joe Biden didn't do himself uh, any great favors over the past couple of days.
1: Could there be any surprises with this bill in Senate to where it wouldn't get to the president's desk?
3: Yes,
2: and I think you could. The,
3: the story is still being written right now. Uh, we, are, we are not uh, a yard away from the goal line here. We're probably about you know, five or ten yards away from the goal line, and you can expect that this is still going to be a many weeks, if not months, process before ultimately you do get to the goal line, if you do, in the first place, Joe. So uh, expect that there are going to, to definitely be some points of negotiation, uh, the the payment end of this, I think, is is one area to really pay close attention to. There are certain, uh, if you want to call them, red line areas where Democrats they don't want to raise uh, or they don't want to raise taxes uh, on the middle class. You have Republicans who want to make sure that the uh, Trump era tax cuts of 2017 that that Congress passed are are not eroded, are not eaten into. So. That is going to be a big question and a big issue as to, okay, all right, we're spending all this money. How do we fund the expenditures? So uh, if if they do get agreement on the here's what we're spending money on, it, it may be an issue of how are we going to fund the money? How are we going to generate the money to pay for all the things that we're spending the money on?
1: Now, moving, uh, staying in Washington D.C., there was a press conference also this week of the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice going after the state of Georgia. What are they claiming, and what is likely to happen?
3: Yeah, well, this is a big move, and, and definitely a, a a bold move for the Biden Justice Department, and and basically saying that they believe that. Georgia's new voting law that had been uh, passed very recently, uh, which a lot of Democrats feel is uh, is going after um, minority voters, uh, is tantamount to trying to suppress the vote of black voters in Georgia. The federal government is making the argument that it is in violation of the Voting Rights Act, and uh, they're going to sue the state of Georgia and make the case in court ostensibly that uh, the this, this state law is in violation of federal law. Now, uh, officials in Georgia say that is nonsense and that their, uh, that their bill is perfectly legal, that they have the right as a state to do it, and they're going to also make that case in court. But this has all of the, the, the smackings of something that is not just going to be decided at the lower court levels, but ultimately could be decided at, uh, at the highest levels of the federal court, which is the Supreme Court. Now, that may or may not happen, but it does have those hallmarks. So uh, this is going to be just one Flashpoint among many, I would expect, uh, over the next two years with uh, with just the very question of who gets to vote and how and uh, and how do we how do we run from state to state our elections? Elections are not a federal matter by design in terms of the precinct by precinct, city by city, county by county voting. But there are some federal concerns that are very much in play, and many of them do go back to the Voting Rights Act, uh, which was first uh, passed in the civil rights era and uh, and is going to be revisited in in certain forms quite potentially during this current congressional cycle in the form um, of one bill in particular, which is primed to be introduced and and debated, uh, which is the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act, uh, which is named after the civil rights leader and longtime congressman uh, who, who died last year, John Lewis.
1: Speaking of legal issues, the former president, you know, uh, you see a lot of stuff on social media about potential legal issues. We see what's going on with his organization here in New York. Uh, I know this is a very uh, uh, just uh, whatever question, but where do we stand on possible legal issues for the former president?
3: Well, Donald Trump faces uh, a number of legal issues in a number of different jurisdictions. Now, first and foremost, Donald Trump has not been charged with any crime. Donald Trump, Trump is not under indictment. Donald Trump is not facing um, anything at this moment that that puts him in direct legal peril. Now, that being said, there are probably a half a dozen things I could tick off here that are looming over him like a giant storm cloud. One, uh, in, in most recently, is uh, the, the notion that it is quite possible within weeks or even days that there that there could be charges against Donald Trumps. Trump Organization uh, for uh, business activities uh, that uh, that the state of New York, or specifically the district attorney in Manhattan, uh, believes um, is prosecutable. But also Donald Trump is facing issues in Fulton County, uh, Georgia, uh, and this relates to his actions in regards to The vote in Georgia in statements uh, that he made over the phone that prosecutors there believe uh, are criminal in trying to uh, to try to overturn the the results of votes. Uh, Donald Trump also personally has issues in New York state uh, and through the district attorney of Manhattan uh, in regards to his taxes uh, and his business dealings in Washington, D.C. He's facing an investigation uh, into whether he. It, through his words, incited the riot in the attack of the Capitol on January 6th. And we also have issues that are, are now years old, uh, going back to Donald Trump's campaign, whether it operated an illegal shell company as part of his reelection campaign, his 2016 inauguration committee. So there, there are a number of things that Donald Trump is, is going to have to be dealing with for uh, probably years and years in the future. But they may start to be coming to a head uh, as soon as uh, this month or
1: next month, Jim. With all that said, um, you know, I've been, and again, I know it's 2021, the next election's in 2024, and you can only put so much stock in the polls. But I saw the straw poll uh, that was conducted uh, last week that had DeSantis beating Trump and um, who they'd like to see run for president in 2024. There was a popular radio show host that did a poll, and DeSantis beat Trump pretty soundly in in that poll. Um, Are you starting to see maybe Republican leaders or just people in the Republican Party starting to shift their focus towards a potential DeSantis run and trying to nudge Trump not to run for a second term?
2: So...
3: The Republican Party is the party of Donald Trump. There's there's no two ways about it. And Donald Trump uh, looms large over every aspect of the Republican Party's operation. So the notion that somebody has uh, superseded or begun to supersede Donald Trump uh, in that position, whether it's Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, or anyone else, it, is nonsense, at least at this moment in time. But that, that all being said, Donald Trump is, is kind of at the The lowest point of uh, definitely his public exposure as he's been in not only years, but maybe even some decades. Uh, He's really fallen out of the public eye. Uh, He had a a big rally uh, over this weekend, just uh, yesterday. And that was sort of, uh, you know, the exception to the rule uh, of the past many months. Uh, And so Donald Trump is not on Twitter. He's not on Facebook. He's not doing cable news appearances, uh, as, as he did when he was president. He doesn't have the bully pulpit of the White House. And uh, and there are other Republicans who very much would like to consider running for president in 2014. One is Ron DeSantis. Uh, Another is Mike Pence, vice president, former vice president of the United States, uh, who also had a a big uh, speech uh, earlier this week at the Reagan Library. He kind of struck out at Donald Trump, if not by name, but by action, really trying to distance himself from Donald Trump on the attacks of, of January 6th. So, Mike Pence making a play there. And there are any of uh, probably another 20 Republicans who, if Donald Trump decides not to run in 2024, want to position themselves in the meantime to stand apart from Donald Trump and and really build their, their own thing going forward to the next presidential election as far away, yes, as that is right now. But presidential elections, they never really end, Jim.
1: Do you do you think there are? And I know this is a more of an opinion question, but do you think there are Republicans um, who see the the polls right and, and see these straw polls, see these social media polls, and see the popularity DeSantis is starting to gain, seemingly over Trump? And not, I'm not saying they don't like Trump, but they're very wary of another Donald Trump uh, run and possibly not winning in 2024. And they see polls like this, and they kind of see the party start to. Lean one way. And now they can be just a little more vocal about their support for someone who isn't Donald Trump.
3: For sure. And, you know, Ron DeSantis and all the other potential possible theoretical candidates out there, none of them have really, truly distanced themselves from from Donald Trump and everything that they're saying publicly. They're standing very much. By Donald Trump, and 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 say that they believe in Donald Trump, uh, but they also don't know if Donald Trump is going to run. So they definitely, from a, a very pragmatic standpoint, want to kind of start to build their their own interests uh, in their brand at uh, a national. Level so you know on one hand these straw polls and and this is going to be the first of many uh, that that get done uh, over the next many months of the next several years they're silly it's just a small tiny little group of people often uh, who are fervent supporters of one person or another not reflective of the body politic at large nationally not scientific in any way shape or form but at the same time too. Presidential primaries, presidential caucuses, the entire process of electing a president can can be like that a a little bit on a macro scale where it's just kind of a very intramural popularity contest, especially in states where they're not open primaries or independents cannot vote. And it's really, truly uh, all about the the sort of most fervent supporters uh, of of a particular party. And and the same holds true for Democrats as well as Republicans. So, you know, don't pay too much attention to straw polls, but at the same time, too, it's not exactly what Donald Trump wants. He doesn't want headlines saying that Ron DeSantis has beaten him in a primary. I mean, I'm sure that Donald Trump is very displeased about the result of that and uh, has only kind of fueled his own fire going forward.
1: Speaking of primaries, uh, you know, there's been this talk of states moving around primaries. Uh, Is the Iowa caucus right now still going to be the first primary, I use quotation marks, of 2024?
3: This will be an interesting fight. Uh, and, and the answer is we don't know yet. And we might not know for, for even a couple of years yet. Uh, so Iowa has always, in, in recent decades, had the first caucus and New Hampshire has had the first primary. And that's just pretty much been the status quo for both parties. Uh, that, that's what they've done. But you've got Nevada kind of making a play saying, hey, we, we should be first. And South Carolina, which is another early primary state, uh, we would love to be first. So they're the first primary in the South. And the knock on Iowa and New Hampshire both is, is that uh, their populations are, are very white; they're not very diverse. Uh, you know, many partisans would like to see a, a you know a more multi-faceted uh, state than the two of them uh, be the first uh, in in the country, and, and that may or may not hold true. But it's definitely going to be a fight that uh, is almost certainly to be had, and has been had before, but. May may even be louder and uh, and, and uh, resulting in a in a different result uh, this time around in 2024. Too early to tell.
1: Dave Buffalo's own Dave Leventhal. Thank you so much for joining me this Sunday morning. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you, Joe. That is Dave Leventhal. He is the deputy Washington bureau chief at Business Insider, and as, as I said, more importantly, he is Buffalo's own. When we come back, we are talking about the protest at the Rainbow Bridge with Jim. Porma, the regional coordinator for the Western Ontario People's Party of Canada. We will talk to him about what brought him to the Rainbow Bridge yesterday and where this stands in Canada. We hear so much perspective in America. Uh, where is the sand in Canada when it comes to the border closures? All that after news here on Hardline. Welcome back. F-
0: TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to
1: secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. clock at four. Doncic, the step back three. You bitch. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes,
0: and even podcasts, whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.
1: Final segment of Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. We are talking about what we saw yesterday at the Rainbow Bridge, a protest to at least have some kind of reopening. It's been over a year since the bridge, any bridge, any land border to Canada, has been open. And we are now. This segment talking with Jim Torma. He is the regional coordinator of the Western Ontario People's Party of Canada. Jim, good morning. Good morning. Now, Jim, uh, tell us what yesterday there was the protest to reopen the border. Uh, What brought you out and uh, what makes you want to see the border open?
2: Yeah, so uh, thank you very much for having me on, uh, Joe. Um, I, I am the Western Ontario Regional Coordinator for the Federal uh, PPC Party, the People's Party of Canada. Um, so, uh, and again, I coordinate Ontario. What brought us out was uh, we have a number of families. Uh, you know, we're, we're, there's a lot of border towns here, and uh, we have families on both sides of the bridge and the border, the land border itself. And uh, these families have been restricted from actually uh, meeting with one another, getting together at all for over 15 months. And it's so heartbreaking that uh, families have been separated at the northern border. There's a hard lockdown taking place, and we can't access uh, our families. And as a matter of fact, people can't access their properties as well. You know, a lot of uh, Canadians have cottages, small cottages in the United States. A lot of Americans have small cottages in Canada. And they can't even go to their cottages. And as a matter of fact, the Americans look like they're going to be losing their property and being taxed for vacant property because of the lockdown imposed by the Canadian government. So it's a, it's a dual thing. You know, the people are losing their, uh, the potential of their property. But more importantly, they can't see their family at all. And it's, it's, it's like unbelievable. It's like a major crime. When we were walking over the bridge uh, yesterday, you know, we looked down and, uh, I, I was just, un, just a stunning view on the american side people were like sardines on the river boats and on the canadian side everything was dead completely dead yet our statistics as far as vaccinations are concerned i think are even higher than yours and yet we are locked down this is absolutely there's no there's no re- reality to what's going on right now this is not even about science anymore this is about compliance you know this is about an authoritarian government that is as hard locking the uh, the uh, country down and not allowing for the access to take place. Meanwhile, on the southern border, you've got millions of people coming across like when it waves. It's like unreal. I cannot believe, and none of us can believe this. You know, our party stands for freedom, freedom. our Charter Freedoms and Rights. You know, and here in Canada, too, our stores, Costco and Walmart, are packed like sardines, but the church, is, the churchgoers, the congregations are forced out of the churches, out onto the field of the parking lot. And even there, they're being arrested. You know, it, unbelievable what's going on. So we wanted to bring light to the fact that, first of all, we need to open up the border. There is absolutely no science behind this anymore. And this needs to happen and it needs to happen now. Delaying things till July 22nd, the constant delay, delay, delay. You know, un, unreal. It's just unwarranted and, and so upsetting. These families are heartbroken. You know, they are uh, uh, fathers and mothers separated from uh, children. You know, again, it's unreal how this is just affecting the lives of so many people that have had no unfettered access in the past because we're brothers and sisters. You know, let's face it. We're the longest um, unmanned border uh, between two countries in the world or unprotected uh, border between two countries, uh, uh, you know, in the world. And and here we are. We've got this massive communist lockdown taking place here in Canada.
1: Unreal. Yeah, and Jim mentioned those vaccination numbers. And Canada right now, 67.8% at least have their first dose of a COVID vaccine. Jim, uh, you keep on mentioning the lockdowns in Canada, and I really don't think a lot of us here in the States understand what kind of lockdown you are still under in Canada. Can you uh, explain that to the audience?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're we're still social distancing. We're still being told to uh, wear masks. You know, the children still have to wear masks. School has been closed, shut down. There's, you know, the in-person teaching uh, did not happen as they said they were going to. Uh, They made all kinds of promises. You know, when they reached certain benchmarks. Every time they reach the bench, benchmark, the, the uh, goalposts was changed. So we're still in a lockdown. We're st- we still have to wear masks going into stores. We still have to uh, wear masks outside if there's too many people. And as a matter of fact, I think, uh, remember correctly, the last count was that if you have 10 people outside uh, and they're part of the same family, then you can hang out and all that. But if there's if there's five people or more and they're from different families, you've got to mask each other outside. And again, there's no science to prove any of this. The CDC bits on their own site that these uh, uh, masks do not stop viruses, yet we're, we're being fed to believe that that's what's happening. So our children are horrified. They're going through a mental torture uh, by, by thinking that they're going to harm somebody if they don't have a mask on. I mean, we're dehumanizing our children, and it's just so devastating to see it. Just unbelievable.
1: Now, Jim, looking at the border, you know, here we, we had a lot of promise last month uh, that the border closure may come to an end before the month of June is over. Uh, but now we see that it's extended till the end of July. And you mentioned how in Canada with the lockdowns, every time a metric's been hit, it seems like the goalposts have been moved. It seems like we're looking at the same thing when it comes to the border.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and and people are really starting to wise up, you know, like a lot of people have taken the vaccines uh, to be able to uh, not have to wear a mask, to be able to have free unfettered movement, to be able to cross the border. So people take vaccines. All right. And again, I I have our party. Our party is such that you can take a vaccine. If you want, you can wear a mask. If you want, you can social distance if you want, but we don't mandate it. We, we, we mandate is freedom. So when we look at, um, when we look at what's happening right now uh, you know, in, in, our, um, uh, uh, in our country and with the moving goalposts, people are wising up to the fact that there's something else going on here. I mean, this is more about control. This is about an authoritarian government that is like literally hard locking us down. And it's not just uh, the, the liberal government. This is the conservative, the NDP, and the Green Party, all of these, and the Bloc uh, Québécois. They are all about locking people down. It's almost like this massive power grab uh, to to keep the populace in check. I mean, we're, we're at a point right now where we can't even go from one province to the next. So this is like a, a massive uh, uh, a communist uh, environment, you know, where you can't uh, – you're going to have to have a vaccine passport to go from one town to the next. You're going to have to vaccine passport to go from one province to the next. I mean, this has become absurd I've got friends uh, who live here who have uh, family in PEI, and they can't go visit them because they're saying that you cannot cross the border. And it, it's become this completely uh, uh, ut- this dystopian uh, um, uh, scenario that's happening. It's unreal what's going on. And like I said, people are wising up. People are getting angry. You know, I speak to people every day, and uh, people are basically going, what is going on here? This is no, no longer are they believing for a moment that this has got anything to do with health
1: let me ask you you talked about the uh how this is all parties in canada has premier ford's uh talked about or at least to trudeau uh about reopening the border is he on the side of reopening the border
2: you know what they all talk a great game they all talk a great game but at the end of the day we have a medical tyranny going on in our country so when the uh, the uh, chief medical officer who are well, many of them are unqualified or they're just uh, basically uh, what's called acting medical officers. Um, and if you really dig, dig down deep inside, even to our medical officer, uh, our head medical officer of Canada, she doesn't even have the, 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 uh, the certifications to be actually doing what she's doing. So. You know, Premier Ford, he talks a good talk, but at the end of the day, it's the same thing. You know, they, they just fall in line. They keep doing what they're doing. You know, Premier Ford could very easily, because he is the premier, he could very easily open up the borders himself. He could, he could ask uh, Justin Trudeau to open the border fully, completely, and uh, and not have to worry about vaccine mandates or unvaccinated people and all the rest of it. You know, this has become a massive, uh, sick joke here in Canada, that, the, that our prime minister, who again, and one of the big things that he was talking about was he loved how China has this great basic dictatorship. Because on a turn of a dime, you can do anything without having to get any kind of uh, legislative approval from other parties and all the rest of it. So when you when I look at that, and when you listen to what he said, and then you look at uh, Premier Ford, these guys, honest to God, we all we are all starting to believe that these are all retail politicians. You know, they're, they do as they're told. They get their... Uh, message from on high. And like I said, it's got nothing to do with science and it's harming our country. It's harming families. The suicide rates are huge. The, the, the domestic abuse is massive. The, 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 corrupt, or the, bit, the collapse of small business is unprecedented. Yet, you know, Amazon and uh, Costco and Walmart are making huge profits right now. So you start to ask yourself the question, where where was where where were these people that were talking about supporting small business? You know, we used to have eighty percent of our of our of our economy with small business in our province. Right now that eighty percent has been destroyed by our, our 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 federal government and our provincial government. And they, they are gonna need to be held to be account.
1: Jim, are there any other demonstrations planned at this time?
2: Yes, there's going to be multiple demonstrations. I myself am not planning one at this immediate moment, but I do know that there will be further demonstrations. There'll be further actions at the land borders to force the issue, to to have people start to wake up that, you know, this isn't just about what happens in your backyard. This is happening across our borders. And, you know, we are brothers and sisters on this continent. We've always uh, worked together to protect one another. And right now our country and your country is being torn apart and our union as, a, as, a, as, a, as two countries that have always worked hand-in-hand hand together, is being torn apart as well. But yes, there are more uh, uh, protests that are going to be happening, more actions that are going to be happening. My understanding is every Sunday at the Peace Bridge, there is a vigil uh, for this. Um, so again, we are going to continue doing this. We will not stop. We will continue pushing the, uh, the, the message And, you know, our leader, Maxime Bernier, he's been at the forefront. He's gone from one end of the country to the next to push the fact that we need to open up our borders. And we're the only party, only federal party that has 338 uh, uh, writings represented that is saying we need to end the lockdowns now, not not tomorrow or the day after. We need to end the lockdowns now. We need to drop these mask mandates, vaccine mandates and vaccine passports we do not live in communist China.
1: Jim, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. Thank you very much, Joe. Appreciate the time. And uh, God bless you. And
2: God bless our American patriots. And let's keep fighting against these authoritarian governments.
1: Jim, thank you so much. That is Jim Torma, the regional coordinator of Western Ontario's People's Party of Canada, and you can hear the passion in his voice. You can hear the passion in everyone's voice uh, when it, when you look at the protest at the Rainbow Bridge, when you look at the demonstrations at the Peace Bridge. I mean, we are talking about families not seeing each other. Uh, you know, obviously people who own property not being able to see their property, take care of their property, getting bills for things that happened on their property that they had no idea uh, was happening the federal or the local government takes care of it and then sends a bill so mail is coming across the border bills are coming across the border uh, but unfortunately people who have not seen loved ones for 16 months um, still not able to go to that border and then we can talk about the economy and, and just everything that's still shut down it, it's so interesting to see where we are here in the United States and where they are just over the border i mean i will drive down the 190 today and see Canada, you know, I mean, and just to see how they are still locked down. Um, Even with, as Jim said, you look at first dose vaccination rates. And by the way, New York State opened on the numbers of at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. So you look at the First, at least the first dose and you have over 67 percent of Canadians vaccinated, but no movement on the border. You can get on an airplane and fly into Canada, fly into the United States, um, but you can't go over the border. You literally can't go right there where you can see um, vaccinated or not. And uh, it's very interesting. I uh, really hope that we see an open border before The July 21st date, I hope we do not see another extension. You know, as we see Governor Cuomo, something I never thought would happen, Governor Cuomo getting rid of his emergency powers. Um, We're still seeing those powers being used just over the border. Well, as I mentioned, um, there will not be hardline next week. July 4th falls on Sunday. I hope everyone gets together with their friends, their family, everyone they can have a nice barbecue with, go see some fireworks, just have a lot of fun. Uh, Last year this time, you know, a lot of us, I think, were doing outside events uh, events with loved ones. But now, hey, have fun. Enjoy it. We're open. New York's open. The United States of America are open. And uh, it's time to start living. You know, uh, I'm in for Tom this week, and I'm sure I'll talk about this a lot. But uh, it is time to... Just live life, you know, and I, I said this last year as well, but it, it's time to live life. You never know. Life is too short. It, it is time to enjoy it. You know, if you want to, as Jim said, you want to keep your distance, you want to wear a mask to feel safe. Hey, that's your prerogative. That's what you want to do. That's great. Um, but it, it is time to start living. And I'm also going to talk about this tomorrow uh, to start Tom's show off. What the NCAA did to NC State. Is just the most ridiculous thing I think to happen this weekend. Uh, The NCAA should be ashamed of themselves and nothing. We have talked to numerous doctors on this station who have said, once you are vaccinated, you shouldn't be tested, right? They've done a 180 on this. Remember, at first it was, oh, you could still, you could probably still pass it. Now most doctors are saying, you might test positive for COVID. But it's very, very unlikely that you will pass COVID to someone if you have been vaccinated. Yet we see NC State get kicked out of the College World Series for COVID protocols. On the same day the NCAA kicked NC State out for COVID protocols, they bragged on Twitter about the packed stadium they had. I mean, can you talk about being tone deaf? You kick NC State out, we're talking about college athletes, four of which, of the ones tested, four of which were vaccinated players. No one was showing symptoms and the NCAA without the recommendation of the Douglas County officials. They did not recommend. This is the uh, statement. Douglas County Health Department spokesman Phil Rumney Rooney said the health department did not recommend NC State's removal, but told the NCAA the department would support whatever decision. So the health department in Douglas County said, there's really no risk here, and we're not going to recommend they have to leave the tournament. But the NCAA, after what we know now of COVID-19, after bragging, I'm sorry, before bragging about a full stadium, Tells NC State, pack it up and go home. Vanderbilt, you're in the final. I think it's a an awful display. There's no science backing up what they did. And like I said, I'll talk more about this to kick off Tom's show tomorrow. It is Hardline. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you all enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow. You know the lineup starting at 5 a.m. with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski. Brian Doing Beamaz and Beamer by himself this week. Uh, you'll have David Bellavia ten to two. Yours truly, Joe Beamer, in for Tom Bowerly, two to six, and then Tom Puckett with Buffalo's Evening News. Have a great afternoon, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: Tune In is the audio platform with something for everyone.
1: News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic. The step back three,
0: you Music.
1: You set my world on fire.
0: Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can
2: count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.